Hi, you're listening to the Innovation Game podcast by IP law firm Potter Clarkson. My name's Rich Wells. I'm a senior associate patent attorney in the life sciences area, and I'm joined by my colleague, Jane Wainwright. I'll let you introduce yourself, Jane. Hi, I'm Jane Wainwright. I'm also in the life sciences area, and I'm, I'm a partner in the, in the department, and I'm really looking forward to this chat. No, it should be good. Um, so the topic of conversation today is creating value from innovation so just to kick us off um you, what do you what do you think of when you hear that hear that phrase jane i think it's quite quite an interesting one rich that lots of people understand that intellectual property um exists and that that arises from innovation but i think that, that a lot of people don't realize that innovation comes from so many different places and and what value that can actually have and there's patents there's trademarks there is copyrights there's designs and so there's lots of ways that 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 value for any any company can be created no that that, that makes sense i suppose it, it's the the innovation alone doesn't necessarily equate to value. I guess it can be quite valuable, but there's often other things to do to sort of cement your position to actually realise that value in in what you've you've done. I guess, and we'll explore that a bit more as as we we talk on on the subject a bit more. So just to kind of bring bring this conversation to life a bit, I think we'll look at a a few. IP related news stories that are hitting the headlines at the moment. Um, the first of which is quite unavoidable in the UK at the moment. It's the the heady heights of the Colin the Caterpillar versus Cuthbert the Caterpillar supermarket battle. So just as a bit of an introduction, um, Colin the Caterpillar is a caterpillar shaped cake made by the retailer M&S. It launched about 30 years ago. And there's a, a rival now on the market, Cuthbert. Um, it's been released by another supermarket chain, Aldi. And earlier this month, M&S filed at High Court in the UK, mm. essentially a, 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 a case against Aldi and Cuthbert for trademark infringement. And um, that's sort of where we are with the story. And there's, there's obviously some sort of social media battles going on in the background. But, you know, what's your take on this, Jane? Well, I think it's 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 quite an interesting one. Apart from the fact that I love cake, um, <laughs> so I could be either Team Colin or Team Cuthbert. I don't really mind, but I think it's it's a really interesting one because there is there is so much that the MNS have been doing, and and in in terms of Colin, um, they've been using using Colin as a cake for for many many years. Many people know that he exists. And so clearly Marks and Spencer's M&S have, have, have created a lot of value for themselves by being consistent with the, the use of, of Colin um, and the, how he looks and, and hopefully how he tastes. Um, and, and, and certainly one of my understandings of, of one of the things that the M&S say that there is a problem with what Aldi are doing with, with Cuthbert is that they, they say that Aldi are trading off their brand with Colin, but selling an inferior product um, and clearly they're concerned about that and and how that might impact on what someone might think about their own own colin and whether they lose value because they lose sales because people might try a caterpillar at a, at a kid's birthday party say and not realize that it's the aldine versus the the the, the m&s one and um, so 
their IP in that sense is, is the trademarks are creating value by associating quality with the particular images and, and brands that M&S have created. So in, in many ways, I suppose M&S, they are using that IP for what it's designed for. They're, they're you know, trying to protect their market position and what they see as a as a superior product. Um, but obviously there, there's kind of the charity angle as well, because I know M&S um, donate at least some of the the profit from from selling Colin to is it Macmillan Cancer Support and uh, I guess there, there, there there's that to consider as well and I think Aldi Cuthbert's that they're also donating to it to a, a charity the Teenage Cancer Trust so there's these kind of considerations as well that I think makes it quite interesting from a social media perspective how they're how they're how they're bringing the these points to bear I think it's quite interesting the social media battle that that has been going on because you could you can clearly see that that Aldi are creating value for themselves out of someone else's IP, which is clearly a no-no. That's 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 why IP rights exist is to prevent that. But it's not just Aldi benefiting off this. You can see all sorts of third-party players that are using Team Cuthbert and Team Colin in the, in their social media and 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 really bringing the the kind of the buzz that is going around this. And it's not very often you get to talk about buzz in relation to to IP. <laughs> it's true though because i think most of the most of the comments that i saw on social media weren't necessarily discussing the merits of the case in any in any way they were almost just pining after caterpillar shaped cake more than anything so whether it's team colin or cuthbert that's winning on the sales now i'm not particularly sure i'm sure there are plenty of people buying both to to, to do a comparison and maybe maybe we should do that for our listeners at some point <laughs> potentially yeah just be be, be us eating cake i'm i'm <laughs> I, I I wouldn't want to ask whether that would be better to what than what they're listening to right now, but but yeah, we'll we'll move on from that. Um, so I think that it's kind of it's kind of an interesting situation. I think it's it is bringing IP more into the public domain as well, which is which is quite a good thing. And I, I suppose it, it's it's showing what it what it can do in some ways, how it, how it can create value for for companies. And for the charities, comes back to that charity angle that that not just is the IP creating the value for for M&S or Aldi or whoever, that the charities are benefiting benefiting from from that IP, and I think that's that's a really nice moral and ethical point to to be thinking about. No, that no, that that's true, and and you know, staying on that moral and ethical point, I suppose we can kind of move on to a another another topic that's. IP related and in the news right now and that's um, you know discussions about the potential of waiving um, patent rights to um, COVID therapeutics so I guess um, this this kind of cropped up in this form last year um, when the Indian and South African governments were petitioning the World Trade Organization to, to encourage the waiving of patent protection for um, COVID therapeutics and it's it's kind of jumped back into the news recently where I think uh, 175 former world leaders and Nobel laureates have um, written a, a letter to, to President Biden in the US encouraging him to do something to waive IP rights to COVID vaccines I think specifically in this case. Um, so on this topic you know what do people want to achieve by encouraging the waiving of, of the these covid related patents i mean there are there are lots of 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 moral and ethical 
dilemmas that go with this. And clearly by waiving IP rights, it smooths the passage towards anybody being able to manufacture um, and distribute uh, COVID vaccines and therapeutics. And that is of particular interest in relation to, to low-income countries. And I think some of the, the data about the vaccination programs comparing high-income and low-income countries really back up how important this is. It's, it's, it's something like one in four adults um, in high-income countries have had at least one vaccine dose, whereas it's, it's less than one in 500 in low-income countries. And if those countries were able to to manufacture and distribute much more easily, then then they would be able to to administer the vaccines much more readily to their populations. So that there are clear benefits to to waiving IP and allowing people to allowing companies and, and uh, entities to, to to manufacture these these drugs. Um, but it isn't the whole story in in the sense that smoothing the way through IP not uh, being waived doesn't mean that that any any particular company or, or country could actually manufacture it because there may be other constraints such as supply of the the underlying ingredients for the for the drugs or they're having the facilities to manufacture so it isn't quite as simple as as waiving ip no i think that that's true because i think the us still has an embargo over sort of 37 raw ingredients that it sees as um essential for making vaccines it re refuses to allow their, their export and i imagine that most of the facilities that are currently up and running able to create the vaccine in the world are already being being used for that purpose so like you say there, there's other constraints other than i imagine ip protection that is is limiting vaccine production and as well uh, i i'm not sort of done a forensic examination of of what's out there but you know from what i can tell there, there's not yet any evidence out there that any um, patents relating to, to COVID vaccines are actually slowing production or any 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 patent owners are enforcing their rights against third parties that are trying to make um, COVID vaccines. And so I suppose at the moment it might be difficult to see how a waiver would, would help in the current situation, but you can certainly see, as you were saying, that if you do break down those those walls of protection, then it does mean that third parties in this quite unprecedented time could could produce the vaccine in places where where it's most needed. Yeah, and I th I think one of the things that we 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 have to be aware of is that that doesn't seem like you're right. That doesn't seem like that there is is much enforcement of of COVID related IP going on. But actually, there are indications that that companies are collaborating. Um, I know that um, Moderna have signed to have Sanofi, another big pharma company, um, manufacture their vaccine. I know AstraZeneca have outsourced some of their manufacture to other other pharmaceutical companies. So there does seem to be collaboration going on between these companies. Clearly, they're there will have been licensing to allow them and agreements to do that. But I think we also know certainly AstraZeneca, and I'm, I'm, I'm positive that the, the other manufacturers are, are doing something similar, are, are selling the vaccines that they are making at cost in low-income countries. The COVAX scheme is is ensuring or helping to ensure supply to, to many of these countries. So the kind of the normal allegations that get laid against IP in terms of it's just about big pharma trying to make as much money as possible um, and prevent others from from getting in on that market doesn't doesn't seem to be bearing fruit at least 
in the present situation. Um, that's not to say it's not going to be enforced in, in, in due course when actually the world's been vaccinated and it becomes just a more routine year-on-year -year booster. Um, but while we're in this, the current unprecedented pandemic times, um, there is definitely an air of, of collaboration between these companies and it does seem that, that IP exists but isn't being enforced against others. No, that's true. And I, I, you make a good point as, you know, when we hopefully soon come out of this pandemic, then the way that companies are approaching the enforcement of IP around these vaccines might change. But I imagine, you know, at that time where there's less pressure, then maybe a waiver would have less of a place in the world potentially. And, you know, maybe these companies would deserve to to have a bit more control over their products. Um, I know the, the BNTech CEO, I think, said quite recently that he doesn't see waivers necessarily as being the answer for the production of the vaccine. I think he didn't specifically sort of like talk too much more on this point. But I, my general understanding was, you know, them as a company do want a certain amount of control over the quality of the way that these vaccines are, uh, are produced. And that can be done through license agreements, you know, with trusted third parties and if there are waivers against the IP and you know anyone can can produce essentially a, a company's sort of proprietary vaccine, then there might be a slight loss of quality control, which wouldn't necessarily be particularly good for anyone, I imagine. Yeah, and I mean I'm not a regulatory expert, but but each company that that makes a, a, a vaccine is going to have to get some kind of regulatory approval. So just because the AstraZeneca or the the, the Pfizer BioNTech has been approved by various bodies around the world, um, that doesn't mean to say that somebody else using the same technology is not going to also have to then get separate mm. regulatory approval. Um, so it doesn't necessarily make it easier. I think what for me one of the other the other key aspects of IP waivers potentially not being that helpful is that the the, the big guys, the big farmer, they, they can afford this on a one-off basis. They, they can cope with selling at cost because they will be working on other drugs and, and be able to make money for their shareholders in, in other ways. But it's the smaller companies, the SMEs, which may be specialising in, in COVID or just vaccines or, or viral therapeutics. And this forms a, a large part of, of what it is that they're doing. Um, putting in place IP waivers that then prevent SMEs from, from enforcing their IP could be really detrimental to, to their commercial goals and, and the health of their business. That's, tr uh, that, that's true. <laughs> on that point should we move on to sort of talk a bit more about well what does sort of creating value from innovation mean for companies like this you know particularly SMEs H how do those particular business models benefit most from from having IP protection yeah well when you think about um innovation it does have value and and small companies may only be working in a in one area or a very limited number of areas so they need to be able to to, to maximize the, the benefits that they can get commercially from from those areas that they're working in and that comes primarily from their intellectual property um, if if you obtain and, and maintain IP rights relating to to your unique selling points 
um, your innovations, then that is how you distinguish yourself from your competitors and is how you prevent your competitors from get, getting a march on, on your territory in terms of what it is that you want to sell. And that's that's not just in the pharma area, in the life sciences area, that's in every, every kind of, of technology area and type of business. That's true. I guess if you, you are going to you know, if you, you put money and time into generating your product, your service, then then you do need to to try and stop copycats, you know, basically kind of coming in on your coattails and and being able to to dislodge you by maybe doing copying what you're doing for a lower price, either through, you know, the where they can manufacture or simply because they don't need to recoup those those, those research costs. It's it's I think it, it it can be quite important. I think one thing though that I'd say it's a misconception, but I think sometimes it's a fair criticism of the IP world, particularly about obtaining, you know, granted patents in a number of countries. Is there is an element of expense to it, um, which can be quite challenging for, you know, small SME companies, companies at the beginning of their journey to bear. And yeah, I guess it's important to balance the these outgoings with the health of the business and maintaining your 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 IP position. But like, it, it is manageable, isn't it? Absolutely. And I, I think it's really key for, for, for any business, irrespective of size, but especially for, for smaller companies, that the the IP strategy informs the commercial strategy, which in in turn informs the IP strategy. There is a, there is a circle mm. going on here and you need to be constantly thinking about what it is that you're doing in, in your innovation. How are you protecting it? And then how are you commercialising that? And if any one of those links is, is not quite joined up, then that's where money tends to, to seep out and, and be lost. If you can join those up, um, you tend to see the benefit of putting money into innovation because you can protect it, then you can commercialize it and you're preventing others from, from getting in on your on your territory. Um, and I, I, I think one of the things that, that, that a lot of people don't realize that is all kinds of SMEs tend to have very few physical assets. Um, they may rent premises, they may rent equipment, um, they employ their employees, they don't own own many things. Um, it may be that their IP, whether that is patents or designs or trademarks, their brand might be one of their only assets. Um, or indeed, if they they sell products, their their products may be sat in a warehouse. Um, and if a competitor is is undercutting them because they've stolen their IP, their brand, their their technology, then that physical asset of stock could drop in price um, and therefore be less valuable. I think I think that makes sense. What you're saying about um, you know the need to tie your IP strategy to the commercial strategy is is key in this this idea of well the real value being in what you can protect you know with intellectual property rights. And I think that that helps map maybe almost you know. The lifetime of the the, the business as, a, as an individual running it might see it you know depending on what the plan is if the plan is to get investment or to you know sell it and exit then often the intellectual property rights that do protect and maintain your unique selling point whether that's a a service or a product um having that there for an investor say gives that company individual confidence to invest knowing that their investment's going to be safe. The valuation of the company, you know, well, we can sell this many products at this amount. That is that that should be maintained if if you can keep others off the market. And therefore, I, I do think that 
IP does have an important an important role in in allowing companies to well first first develop a business plan and then to be able to execute it and to to hit the milestones that that they that they set themselves. And I think as well one thing that um, you can learn from the Colin Cuthbert um, battle, should we say, <laughs> is that it's not just a battle of, of, of caterpillar cakes. It sounds more like a food fight, doesn't it? Um, but I think one thing that you can learn from there is it's not only your intellectual property that you've kind of got to keep an eye on. You know, other individuals, other companies will have have their own IP, whether that's patents or trademarks. And, you know, it's not it's something to something to bear in mind that that that, that could also impact on your ability as a company to commercialize what you want to whether it's a service or, or or a cake maybe and actually that that is a really good point because especially for small companies they may not think about other players in the market having having intellectual property that that could prevent them from from commercializing what they want to commercialize and particularly if that that intellectual property is owned by a a big company that's got deep pockets that could make life very very difficult for for an SME so being aware of that is 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 really important uh, that that general term to to sort of uh, as IP geeks is freedom to operate so you know that that's a, a watchword to to look out for but um but it is always always worth keeping in mind. I think sometimes, you know, generally companies can be quite good at their own surveillance. They they often know what their competitors are doing, but there can sometimes be hidden intellectual property out there from people that you didn't know were in this particular market that can cause cause issues. So it's always worth keeping in the back of your mind, particularly, you know, when, when you're talking to your advisors or others about, you know, intellectual property. So it's a Anything else that you know we, we we can say on 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 you know creating value from innovation or, or or should we try and hit sort of three key points that that we can take away from this conversation? I think we can probably do a, a, some some quick take homes, can't we? Okay, so number one on your top three, Jane, would be um, the innovation and associated IP does have value. It can it may not be obvious, it may not be um, it may not be much. But it always will have some value to to you or to somebody else. Okay, now that makes sense to me. Um, number two, um, it's remembering that the, your innovation and IP strategy really needs to fit with your commercial strategy, which necessarily is going to fit with what is happening in the real world. Now, yeah, that makes sense. And, and number three is finally it comes back to that final point that we were just talking about is is freedom to operate and remembering that other people have ip and innovation so you re really need to be careful that you don't step on those toes you don't want to be the cuthbert no 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 one wants to be the cuthbert at the moment i think no that 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 was great thank you so much for for that jane and um no i i hope if you've listened up to this point that you, you you've enjoyed it um yeah jane and myself we're we're from Potter Clarkson, we're a full service intellectual property law firm dealing with patents, trademarks, designs, licenses, litigation, should you need. Um, so if you've got any questions about the topics that um, we've discussed today, um, please feel free to get in touch with us. You can download this podcast from all your usual sources and you can get great up to date information on things in the IP world, either from our Potter Clarkson website or our LinkedIn and Twitter feeds. So just want to say thank you, Jane. Um, and just before we go, you know, are you team Colin or team Cuthbert? I'm team cake.
team cake i like that sitting on the fence sitting on the fence um but you know if you're listening and 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 want to get in touch to just tell us whether you're team curling team cuthbert then that'd be interesting we might run a poll if there's enough interest but um thank you very much for listening and 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 take care thanks everybody